Hello, my dear listeners. So this week will be another guest episode. So this time I'm on Connecting Stories, the podcast that I run by Ifi Bami Boye. She's a wonderful human being. She's training to be a therapist. She's a certified coach. We met on Clubhouse and um, I just liked the person she is. And so we decided to have a conversation on her podcast. The episodes will be in two parts. So the first part will be um, my story until I I leave Cameroon. So you, you all know I was born in Cameroon and I grew up there. And then at one point I moved to Switzerland. So that's where the first part ends. Um, what is fascinating with this episode is that when I try telling my story, I always try to rush it because I'm stressed. And then, but if he has this power of, you know, when she hears you say something quite really out of the ordinary, she would say, hey, let's slow down here. And uh, actually, yeah, I don't know. She has, it's like magic. She managed to make me really tell my story. So I just thought that I asked her if I could share the episode on um on, on overcoming your story and she said yes uh, because that's the kind of person she is so I hope you enjoy this episode and um, just a trigger warning what you're going to hear is not easy um, there's child abandonment mention of sexual violence so please take care of yourselves we are not in an easy time so if you think you cannot um, listen to it, uh, please <laughs> skip it or, I don't know, um, try it. But if it's too hard, let it be, you know, it, the goal is not to make you worse. But in this, um, if you listen to it, then you will understand why this trauma recovery, trauma awareness, mental health is so, so important to me that we all become conscious and take care of this aspect of ourselves. So yeah, so part one of my backstory, um, please reach out to me and uh, tell me what you think of it. So I created an email for the podcast. It's called overcomingyourstory at gmail.com. If you feel like it, shoot me an email and then we can take it from there. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Connecting Stories podcast. My name is Ifi Bamiboye, host of Connecting Stories podcast. Today's podcast is titled Married at 14. I'm really excited to share this story with you. It's a story of childhood and intergenerational trauma, resilience, shame, intense pain, and a journey of healing. I've got a very, very special guest with me today, Miriam. Welcome to Connecting Stories podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Thank you, Ifi. I'm so glad to be here having this conversation with you. So my name is Miriam Joku. It sounds Nigerian, but actually I'm Cameroonian, <laughs> married to a Nigerian. So um, Married to I'm, my brother, because I yes. recognize the name in Joku is Ibo. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. So he's from the eastern part of Nigeria and you're Cameroon. Exciting. Yes. So I I was born in Cameroon, raised partly in Cameroon, and then I moved to Switzerland where I lived for 20 years. And presently I live in Canada and I've been here for three years. I studied political science and uh, have a master's from the London School of Economics. And I worked in banking and international development for, for years. And uh, since two years now, I've been blogging, writing, I've written my memoir on my childhood, and I recently started a podcast with a friend called um, Free Your People. It talks Free about- Free Your People, I like it. Yes, yes. It's about intergenerational trauma, talking about it, finding solutions, and finally starting that healing journey. I also write short stories. I, I'm just a lot about healing from trauma since I discovered what it's about. And until two years ago, I really thought deep inside me that something was wrong with me. 
until when I, two years ago, I was pregnant with my third daughter and I went to see a therapist and she told me, read this book called Something About Trauma. I've forgotten the title. And it was really eye-opening because the book was as if it was about me. It was not about me. Right. Of course, it was written in the 90s. But it's how your brain, how you react after you've been through trauma, you mm-hmm. know, and and that it's not what that is. Some, nothing is wrong with you, but something happened to you to make you have certain reactions. So, yeah, from there, I just wanted to share this message with the world, because I think many people went through some of the things I went through or even more of the things I went through. And they're just dealing with the pain in silence and in their hearts. So, yeah. That's my reason. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on here today. I have so many more questions, but they will come up as we go along. I was going to ask you, how did you meet your husband being Nigerian? Because I know when I said brother, some people listening would think he's actually my brother. No, I mean my evil brother. Like we're from, yeah. the, same, <laughs> we're from the same place. Have you been to Nigeria? I haven't been to Nigeria. And actually, his mom is German and his father was Nigerian and his parents met behind the world in former eastern germany as medical students so that's the story oh wow so, interesting. yeah <laughs> so yeah. i met him in switzerland he, he was studying uh, he came to switzerland to study and we met 10 years ago yeah nice amazing okay just before we get into it properly i, I feel like it's important for me to explain what childhood trauma is for the benefit of those who don't know Childhood trauma is generally defined as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful. It often results in lasting mental and physical effects, kind of like what you described, thinking there's something wrong with you because you sense that mentally and physically all is not well. Complex trauma would often refer to like prolonged exposure to a stressful event that is not dealt with. And that would include children who've grown up in a physically, sexually, or emotional abusive environment. So do you want to start from the very beginning? We've called this podcast Married at 14. And I Mm -hmm. guess a lot of my listeners will be thinking, Miriam was married Mm -hmm. at 14. Okay, let's just clear that. No, that's not my story. But just to add a little bit on trauma. So there are two types of trauma. There's what they call the big T trauma. It's You're doing where something major happens, a car accident, a flood, a disaster, something. And then, or if someone dies in your your family or or a friend, and then you get overwhelmed and then you get go through a depression and then you you try to heal and then to come back to a place where you feel whole again, you know? So there's the before, there's what happens and then there's the after. And then you have developmental trauma or complex trauma that's a small T trauma. It's the drip, drip, drip. It's what happens through in childhood. And it's like all the little things over many years that overwhelms the child. It's really trauma. Is the, it's an event happens and the child is overwhelmed and cannot cope. Where that happens a lot, that child inter, um, is shaped in a different way. Exactly. Their yeah. brain doesn't, yeah, they don't go through the developmental stages they are supposed to go through to be a wholesome human beings when they grow up. Yeah. So married at 14 is not my story. It's my mother's story. And it's a story I was so ashamed to say, uh, to tell for many, many years. I'm not ashamed of my story anymore. But I shared a short clip on, on Instagram the other day saying um, on my mother's story. And it said, um, imagine being in a village in Western Cameroon. Imagine being in class and trying to focus and listen to your teacher. It's the afternoon. The sun is high up. And then you hear people calling your name from outside. I'm Setu, I'm Setu, I'm Setu. There's a commotion. All the kids run out. You run out to see what's happening. There are two policemen there and they're there for you. Oh, wow, what did you do? Your little brother comes to you. He's confused. And the two policemen take you away and you go on foot. You pass by a stream and they baptize you. They change your name from I'm Setu to Amstel. And then they take you to a compound. A compound you'd know because you're already abandoned and you're raised by your grandparents. And that compound is the compound of your grandparents' friend who comes to visit now and then. So you've seen this man, this older man, come and visit your grandparents regularly growing up. They bring you there and then there's screams of joy. You're confused. What's going on? Actually, it's your wedding. They put a cloth on your head and they start a ceremony. It's your wedding ceremony. You're still in primary school. Childhood is over. No one told you anything. You're now a married woman and you're not the first wife. 
because this person is a prince. He already has wives and you're, I don't know wife number how many, but you're not the first wife. You're not the only wife. That's how my mother got married to my father. Wow. Yeah. That That sounds like a movie. Like it doesn't sound like real life. I know. I know even for me too. Sometimes I'm like, did this happen? But I talked to my mother. It's, that's how it happened. So she got married and she, she had a first daughter and the, the, her daughter passed away at eight months of age. Not, not like she, she, the daughter was born and then the daughter passed away. And then she got pregnant. She was so, because in the village, in that context, having children is like having wealth. And because for them, she was taking too long to have a child. They, was, they were bullying her so much. She was so stressed out. So when I came to the world, I didn't come as just a child, make, like, la, 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 everybody's waiting for me. I'm go- I, ha- I had a purpose, the purpose to save my mother from that marriage, to save my mother's sanity that she the, the people get off her back. So my mother was stressed, and I, I'm, I'm a very anxious person, even though I sound calm. So I came You already- do sound calm, Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to the world already to save my mother. And yeah, so she had me. Do you know how old she was when she had you? She was 17. Wow. No, no, no. no. She was maybe 16 because she had my sister. She was 17. So she, I don't know, 15, 16, you know. And then she had me. But I know that at 18, she ran away. She ran away from my father's house. And she took my sister and myself. I remember the day. That's one of my first memories as a child. I remember the day we ran away because she hid us in the house that was built and uh, that the floors were not made, the windows were So an uncompleted building. Yeah, she left us there to go get uh, someone who had a, a car and then she told me not to move. Then she came back after and, and took us and we, we went. And that was. You remember how old you were? I was three and a half. You know what's so interesting is I've interviewed a few people who have dealt with childhood trauma. But it's amazing that the memory at three, at four, is so sharp and is so vivid. Yeah. Where some other people can't even remember what happened in their early years. Do you think that there's there's definitely a link there between those circumstances and your age, where regardless of how young you are, you remember something that traumatic? It's because maybe... As a child, you already know something is wrong. It's not your usual day routine. So my father had a compound with lots of like rooms built around the main house. And when my mother ran away, my father had 18 wives and lots of kids. Pause. So I had just pause. Just let's let's take a minute there. Uh, your yeah, father sorry. had 18 wives. Wives. 18, yes. as in one eight. 18. Yes, one eight. What does that even look like? Away. What does it look like having eight? Like I can't even process that. So all at the same uh, time? All at the, it was not, he had concubines, mind you, but he had 18 wives living in his compound. So there was, this is some, this is even earlier than three and a half, but these images I have in my head, like living at my father's house, which with, where I lived only for three and a half years. So you have a main house and all around the house were rooms built. So the main house were, was where my father lived and in the rooms were the wives and their children. And I think they took turns. Uh, I don't. I think each wife cooked for one day, and then they they changed. You know, and then one wife would cook for the whole family for one day, and then the other, and then the next day is another wife. And they did the same. They took turns to come and sleep in his bedroom. You know. Wow. Yeah, that's how it was organized. So I had a routine where in the morning, apparently I, I like to wake up, wake my brothers up, and then go to my father's room and pray, and then he would share sweets with us. So. I think that day, maybe the way my mother was stressed and she was hiding us, I knew that something was not right. That's why I remember that day, particularly the day we ran away. So we ran away and she took us to her village because my parents are not from the same village. And she left us with our great grandmother, you know, and then she went to the city to look for work. And actually she found work. She got settled quite all right. But she never came to take us. She only came to visit us. So we wow! And your five... dad never came to look for you as well. 
Um, apparently, I'd always thought he never came, but my sister told me that actually he one time he came one he tried to come and take us, and our great grandmother refused. He didn't come himself. He sent his he was in the car and he sent his driver, and uh, my grand my my great grandmother said no, and he, he just respectfully went away. So we lived with our great grandmother for five six years. My mother would come visit every I would say nine months. So there were no telephones. They were we didn't have electricity. We didn't we cooked with three um, three uh, stone fire place. Lots of smoke. And the thing is, no one explained anything to me. So I was just like, what's why? What's happening? I was thinking, but why are we living in the kitchen? Because my great grandmother's house was like a kitchen, like a mud uh, house mm-hmm. with a three stone fireplace. That was the kitchen in my father's house. So I was like, well, why are we living in the kitchen now? But there was no one to answer my questions. So that's how um, we grew up. But my great grandmother was an amazing woman. She raised us as best as she could because she was very old. I don't know her age, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was already 90. She was so old. She had all white hair. She was bent. She couldn't even walk properly. She was in no state to be raising a six-month-old baby and a three and a, yeah. So, but she still took us on and uh, she loved us a lot. She beat me a lot because I was really very rebellious. Um, but I knew why exactly every time and and she didn't like, yeah. But anyways, the, the so, feeling so that this I, must have been really traumatic for you because you've yeah. lost your you've lost your mom essentially because she's not there anymore, and you've lost mm-hmm. your dad. In terms yeah. of having those two parents, your primary get caregivers who define yeah. what reality, what everyday home life looks like for you, and yeah. and I think this is what parents don't realize is that things like that significantly impact a child sometimes for the yeah. rest of their lives. There's something oh, yeah. um, I, I learned recently in, in trauma is there's positive stress. So stress mm-hmm. that comes naturally for a child to do with anxiety around a birthday party, an exam or things like that. And then mm-hmm. there's tolerable stress where, like you mentioned, maybe the child deals with grief or a natural disaster or, or a terrible injury or something, but the parents are there to guide that child and help the child mm-hmm. through the process. And then there's toxic stress. And this is what mm-hmm. it sounds like you're describing. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. It's really difficult circumstances. There's, there's caregiver abuse or, mm-hmm. or parental negligence and all sorts of mm-hmm. trauma related with growing up and the child yeah. is left to figure it out by themselves and define yeah. what normal looks like. So, yeah, and, and I guess that's a challenge for us as a black community where no one is sitting you down to talk you through the process. A, maybe because they think you're too young to understand or B, because mm-hmm. they just don't even know that that's something that you do. So yeah. I guess what I want to, if you, if you're able to go back that far is what was this like for you as a child? Did you just constantly have questions in your head? What was it like every time your mom came and mm-hmm. she left again? Because yeah. was that was that quite traumatic? Did you know, oh, she's not even going to be here. She's going to go again. Yeah, I'm really willing to go back there because it's happening a lot. And um, it's important that people understand what it does to a child, right? And I know that, in our, for example, in my culture, many people leave their kids with aunties, grandmas, because they're trying to make a living. I'm, I'm of the opinion that where, whenever you can, please keep your children. Even if you have to share one potato for six people, please try to find help that people help you stay with your children. Because if not, most of them will go through their lives searching for that love they never had. Yeah, not, in the wrong feeling, places as well. In the wrong places, in the wrong places, most of the time, not feeling they are good enough, not feeling they are worthy of anybody's love because those are the early attachments in the child's life that are critical in building the person they are. And when you don't have it, it's really difficult to hang on to something. Um, what I would say is that if there are changes that has to happen, you have to talk to your child. And no child is too young. You, you don't have to share all the backstory, but you can say mommy needs to go here. And then you, you start in advance preparing the child's mind so that the day you have to go, it will still be hard, but that preparation has been hard. I never had that. 
I was just thrown in situation. I was just like, just seeing things happen. I don't understand what's happening. And I had lots of questions. I was a very, very curious child, a very curious child. So I saw and I heard a lot, but I did not know how to process things, you know? So it made me very anxious. Um, I peed in bed until I was like 13 years old because of, I, now I know why I didn't, yeah. I had these nightmares every night because I guess, you know, you, one day you're with your both your parents, everything is going fine. And I was like a very loud child, very happy, very jokey, jokey, like really playing, okay, hitting many of my brothers and sisters, like really very happy child, like, you know, running around, having a nice day, all day, every day, until all these things start, started happening. And um, when my mother came, it was really, she would appear because there was no phone. We didn't have electricity. We didn't even have running water. We had to go like to a, to a tap and fetch it and bring it home. Like all of a sudden you would see this beautiful woman because she's very beautiful. This beautiful woman appear from afar with her bags. Oh my goodness. It was as if God was coming down from heaven for me that day as a child, you know. She would come and then we would run and fall in her arms, sing the little song that we, we sing to welcome people in Cameroon. Mama, Elele, Yaya, to fall in her arms. Aww. She had gifts, she had clothes, she had, it was just so wonderful. But she, there were many people hovering around her because actually my mother is the person who had money in my family because she went to the city and she found a good job. Um, right. Because when she was at my father's, she insisted on doing like a, the t- a typing school, you know, to right. be a typist. So she could type. So she found work in companies and stuff. And But it lasted five days. Five days where we were just so happy. And, and then after five days, she left again. Today, I wonder if what would have been easier for, for me as a child, that she not visit at all or that she would come and go like that because it was very traumatic. Every time she left, it was just like, it was really, really hard. Like um, something was to, taken away from you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just had that hope that she would take us one day and then every time say, so, oh, maybe it's this time. She's coming to take me. And then, no, it's not this time. Oh, maybe it's this time. So it was really, uh, but I, I I was still hoping that she, she would take us. And I think that hope kept me going. I was, you know how when children act out in school, even yeah. right now, when, yeah, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with them. Something is happening to them. Yes. something is happening to that child so the question is what's happening to you and not what is wrong with you as Oprah says right yeah and, and I guess that is a me. challenge for us especially yeah. as, as as a black community because we expect so much from children that we've most times never even taught how to be so I think what you said there is really key where a child is acting up and you want to find out what's going on underneath the surface there's something yes. that that child is reacting to or rebelling against that most times no one has taken the time to find out. Yes, exactly. And yeah, in my case, it was like that. I, did, I wouldn't go to school. I just was playing. I, I like to go to the forest a lot because it was the place where I didn't feel rejected. All the other kids, they had their parents, you know. So when I went into the forest, I felt calm. I felt you know, nature. I don't know. I just felt connected and I, it was just like me, like nothing was wrong anymore. So every afternoon after school, I went into the forest and uh, sometimes I got in trouble because I I would enter the forest like in the night and stuff. Okay. Anyways, I was a bit unconscious, but, um, so I grew up like that. And at one point my family decided that I was really getting out of hand. I was not doing well in school. They would send me to an uncle so that he would raise me with a firmer hand whatever that meant. So all of a sudden I was again separated from my great grandmother, left my sister behind and I went to the capital city, Yaoundé, where I lived with my uncle who had just gotten married. So it was really tough because I couldn't go into the forest anymore. I did not even have the right to play anymore. I had lots of chores. And when I finished my chores, I had to sit there with uh, a book open on my laps, you know, like I had to be reading. My, My uncle couldn't read and write. So I was just there, so frustrated. But what the good thing that happened that year was that actually I started reading that book in my lap and then reading another. And then I saw that the more I read, the more my grades were getting better because they classified How kids. How old the were person, you? I was like 10 years old. No, no, wow. because I left there when I was 10. No, I was eight years old, eight years old. So I went to my uncle when I was eight years old. 
So it was hard, but his wife, I could speak to her. I could have tantrums at least. I could like complain. I don't like fufu, eating fufu every day. And then she'll be like, okay, okay. Uh, you eat your fufu because I don't want to tell your uncle that you were complaining. You know what will happen to you. I'm like, okay, okay. So she was kind of really a little bit understanding, you know. And then after they had a baby, it was, so I had to carry that baby all the time. I just couldn't, it was just too much for me. Like, you know, anyways, after a while, my auntie decides to go and visit her family in the village. She went back to the village and then I went to school and then I came back and all of a sudden I saw so many people at her home. Actually, she had had an accident and she had died with the baby oh, on the way dear. back. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. So yeah, yet another loss. And then yeah, and so she my was the went. one that you could talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't even mention some other losses because there was another cousin I really loved at my great grandmother's house, and she was also suddenly married, you know, like suddenly. And I, I was there, I witnessed that. That was so so traumatic. Um, to see her, they just came, they put that cloth, and then she was gone. And um, was this a culture in Cameroon where people were married at 14? I I mean, no, not in Cameroon, maybe in my region, but I know I wouldn't say, but yeah, there are many, no, some, some villages from, from yeah, but yeah, but because in, the in past, Nigeria, many villages, I, yeah, yeah. So in Nigeria, I grew up in the north, and this was a very familiar story to me because I had friends who were in class primary five. And that was even, we weren't even 14, actually, now that I think about it. That's actually yeah. quite sad. They were mm. much younger and maybe nine, 10, and they were taken away. Yeah, they were married off from there. Whether they waited for these girls to mature, but it's a common thing in the North. Mm. Obviously, not everyone is a general statement. I don't want anyone to come for mm. me. But in the North, yeah. it wasn't uncommon to hear of a girl child being married off to an older man. So yeah, perhaps yeah. that's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. My cousin, she was she was in class four, so I don't know. She, I don't know. She was have been like maybe twelve, you know. She, wow. she, yeah. And I loved her. I slept in the same bed as her, and every time she would sleep, she would put on, she would throw an arm at you, pressing me. I couldn't breathe, but every night I insisted in sleeping in her. She was like my star, you know, this big sister figure. Yeah. And then you're just like so in awe. That's a, that that's the person she was for me. So when they took her away like that, and I saw how confused she was, I was just like, wow, okay. What could I do, right? My uh, cousin gone like that. And then that year I was doing well in school. So I was hoping that by the end of the school year, I would go back and tell my, I wanted to go out and apologize to my great-grandmother that uh, sorry, I was so turbulent. Look at me now, I'm better and stuff. But actually she passed away just before I could go to the village. So. I never got to have that closure, but you know. So at the age of nine, ten, you had already dealt with significant trauma. And yeah. you carry on living with your uncle, even though your auntie and the baby had now passed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my sister joins me because my great-grandmother had passed. So she didn't have any caregiver in the village anymore. So she joined me in the city and we were living with uh, my uncle. So I became like the kind of woman of the house in that I cleaned, cooked, you know, I would take care of the chores before going to school. So my school like was very crowded. So we either had morning or afternoon shifts. So I would either cook and clean in the morning and then go to school in the afternoon or go to school in the morning and do that in the afternoon. With the goal being that every day when my uncle comes back at seven, there would be food on the table for him, you know. How His old were you? Washed. I was nine years old. Oh my Nine, goodness. Ten. I'm just trying, yeah. like, this is my, my daughter is 10. Like she can barely, yeah. I'm still like trying to say, look, when I was your age, I did this, but I could never have done that at 9, 10. So you were literally yeah. taking on the role of wife, woman. Yeah. But was yeah. he kind to you and your sister? I think with the grief, you know, he was young, he was grieving. He was very strict. He, he would beat us really. Yeah. It was really bad. I don't know. No, I don't think I would say he was kind. Um, but, you know, I didn't realize he was not kind until I was like 25. Because I had because accepted that was he normal was like that. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, he was like kind of my father figure. So what can you do? It's like that, you know. I did not even know it was trauma. I, I just accepted things until an event came and then everything just went down here because I realized how 
No, I was scared of him. I know that I'd never realized I was very scared of him. And mind you, even today, I'm not sure if he comes on the phone and, and says hi to me with his voice, I wouldn't be scared. I don't know. I, I listened to a voicemail he left where he tried to speak English. It's so funny. So I laughed. I, I, I laughed until I cried. But it was the first time I could hear his voice and it made me laugh. And not like, yes, uncle, yes, uncle, you know. So it has lasting effects. Even when you're grown, you're established, you have a life, you, you know who you are. There are these emotional remnants that can oh, follow you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So my sister comes and we live one year with our uncle. And then at the end of that, many things happen. And then at the end of that year, my mother decides to, to place us with a different uncle. And we changed cities. So we, we went to a city where we had a family home called Bamenda. And then we lived there for one year with um, that uncle. We also had, uh, because my mother, she has eight brothers and sisters. So the other uncles were also there. And my sister, she was not doing well in school, like really not doing well at all. They were beating her so much. She was just like a shell of herself. And when my mother came to visit, she realized and she took her away. She took her with her. She's like, no, come with me. I couldn't go because I was in the last year of primary school and I was taking a national exam. So I couldn't go with her. So I had to stay behind with my uncles. From that, Did you understand that though? <sighs> Did you understand that you couldn't go with her? Or was that another traumatic experience? No, I didn't, I didn't leave that as a traumatic experience. I think at that point I understood and I so wanted to do well in school because those years with my uncle, actually, I really started getting good in school and it had become like my lifeline. My, the only thing that defined, like kind of the only thing I could do well that showed that maybe I'm a valuable human being. So it became school. So I knew I had this national exam, so I didn't want to change to go and not take my exam. Right. So I took my exam. Uh, it went well. And I also um, applied to, to go to a boarding school because my strategy was that if I'm in boarding school, then I have to deal with my family only three months of the year when it's the summer, right? So I was like, oh, I <laughs> good <would>. strategy. <laughs> you know, we try. Yeah, but that point I'm 10, 11. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I will take this. Um, it was a very good boarding school. Success rate, 100%. It's called Our Lady of Lords um, Girls College something in Cameroon. So I take the exam. It was really, they had like a panel uh, asking you questions, spare this, like, quick fire stuff. It went well. I saw my name on the list. I was happy. So I went to spend the summer with my mother. So I'm like, oh, mom. I, I was like, okay, I will tell her to send me to the school. And then I said, like, okay, worst case scenario, she cannot send me. She will keep me with her and I will go to school. It's always better than anything. So we get there. I think you're trying, you're starting to sense where it's going, this thing. So we go to the city where she lives. And I go and enjoy them. And it's nice. It's a, it's a nice summer. We're having a good time. And I tell her that I want to go to boarding school. She tells me she doesn't have money. Okay, I'm disappointed, but I'm so okay. At least I will be with her. And then I see her traveling a lot to, to Douala. It's a, it's a bigger city. She travels a lot. Then she tells us that actually she's going to go abroad and that she's found us a caregiver who, who she's going to leave us with until she can come and take us. Yeah, so like... I don't know how many blows are those. No oh, boarding school. There was no option to explore going to boarding school. There was no option at all. She just said she doesn't to explore have the that. Money. Yeah, she just said she doesn't have the money. She yeah. cannot. Yeah. So that was like. So I'm not going to boarding school. I'm going. I'm. I'm having a new caregiver. Someone I don't know. And uh, my mother is going abroad. Yeah. All that at the same time. So it happened very quickly. So she quickly registered me at the, um, so I was now in secondary school, at the secondary school near, near this woman's house. And she left us with this woman who was actually an alcoholic. So we lived with an alcoholic for three years. Yeah, wow. let's just say, yeah. Anyways, so, and for the first nine months, our mother didn't call. So we didn't hear anything. We never knew if our mother was dead, alive. She arrived in Spain. Um, so that it was that and so this woman I think she kept us because she she thought she would be receiving money so she started insulting us every day you know um, because she was not receiving the money as she expected and not even a phone call and of all the things for many years you know when I think of the when I was there I was like oh at least she doesn't beat us she just insults us 
But actually, as an adult, it's worse because that her voice became the 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 dictatorial negative voice I used to speak to myself years later wow. when she was not even in my life anymore. You know, that voice as a child, that voice got into my mind. And I can tell you, I did everything to fight for that voice not to enter my mind. She was insulting us every day. I would, every time she spoke, I would counter speak. She'd say, oh, you're a bastard. I would say, I'm not a bastard. I'm a good human being. I, I go to school. I go to church. I, I was going to church a lot at that time. So like, I tried to counter, but I was a child. That's, the, that's, the, that's all I can say, you know. I was not an adult. I was a child. And then I was in a situation that was hopeless. I couldn't get myself out of. So even though I tried, it has it had effects on me in the way I speak to myself, you know. Okay, so I want to pause there. Like, there's so much to process in this story. I, you know, it's unbelievable to think that you could have experienced all of this in a very, like, we're still at what age? Have we reached 12, teenage 13, years now? 12, 13. 13. Yeah. yeah. But there's something really powerful you just said, which again, for me, you know, Connected Stories is very focused for me on the Black community and how we can help ourselves. Mm-hmm. And another thing that's common to us is the way we speak to our children mm-hmm. based oh, on yeah, how yeah. we've been spoken to as parent, as by our parents rather, and how yes. their parents spoke to them. Mm-hmm. But you've just hit something that I know for a fact is that the inner voice for children that actually ends up being their inner voice as adults comes from the criticism and the insults and the verbal abuse from their primary caregivers. And what I'm hearing you say is, even with you trying to counter it and fight that, that was the voice you heard on the inside. And I think that's something that is an unlearning that we need to put into place for ourselves in our parenting and making sure that we don't pass that on to to the next generation. Yes, I'm a parent today. I have three daughters and this is something I have to mindfully practice every day. And the voice has become mild. It comes up from time to time when I don't expect it to be, to criticize me, oh, you haven't done enough work and, you know, but I see it now. But before it was the only voice I used to talk to myself. And when I say before, it lasted years until I finished university, I started work, until actually I started my healing journey. This voice that was always putting me down was the only voice that it had nothing kind to tell me. And it comes from already the abuse of before, and also this, these three years spent wow. uh, with this woman. And I would tell all the parents out there, I know it's very hard. I know we can be very stressed. I know, but please be mindful of what you tell your children. Because what we tell them, that's what makes them. They will, that's they what will, they get to believe about yeah, themselves. Yes, yes. No one comes to the world loving themselves. It's what the caregivers give them that they make them feel they are valuable and they're, they're loved and they would love themselves, you know? So we have to love our children, show them that we love them. Apologize if we have, uh, if, if we have outbursts and, and stuff, it can happen. So we apologize, just say, mommy is having a, a hard time, you know? I'm sorry, it will not happen again. You know, take a break. I, I, would, I would say uh, right now, mommy is feeling overwhelmed. And then I would go to the room for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, calm down and then come back again. You know, and that's what comes... you know. People, adults need to learn to self-regulate. I feel like I'm oh, going yeah. to do a workshop about this because yes, I learned in in a lot of the work I'm doing. I'm currently training to be a counselor. Is that we need time out as yes. adults. We need to take a minute. The way you put a child that's throwing a tantrum in time out, adults yeah. need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're not machines. We we also have feelings. We have emotions, right? And exactly. sometimes. Maybe you're stressed from work and then you have to do this and then you just it just comes on you like this. You just take a break, take 11 minutes, take 15 minutes. I love go it, take 11 down. minutes. Yeah, just go, <laughs> go, go to the room. Yeah, go calm down, you know, sit with yourself, scroll a bit on Instagram, I don't know, call a friend, just take a moment for yourself. Call a friend. And, yes, please. You <laughs> take know, a minute. It's important. Take a minute, you have to. And then the, when you come back again, you're, yeah, you're more disposed, you're open, and then you can, you know, because Have when conversations without yes. sounding like a lunatic. Yes, yes, you know, or, or without being triggered. I have my, my third daughter, my second daughter, she's she's calling me, Mama, Mama, Mama. Before she says something, 
She said, mama, 50 times. So when I'm tired, I need the break because when I'm tired, I hear that mama, 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 mama. Someone hasn't said anything. I only hear the mama. You know? Okay. And it's so, so funny. It's so funny in motherhood because, you know, you're anxiously waiting for this baby to call you mama. And then yeah. that toddler stage where that mama is the only thing you hear. Like, I remember one yeah. time saying to my daughter, like, if I hear mommy one more time. <laughs> Because she doesn't even make her point. She said, Mama, Mama, look, but Mama, and she can't, she just keeps going. I don't know, like, okay, and it's okay. ringing in your brain. Yeah, it's ringing because, you know, you can't touch your breath and stuff. So, yeah, so when it's like that, Mommy, Mommy takes away. Sometimes they tell me, Oh, Mommy needs a timeout. Mommy like, needs yeah, a timeout, yes. You are right. Mommy's going to take a timeout. <laughs> <laughs> no this is this is actually so important it is really yeah. important yeah. yeah and please please give your children a voice please let them i know it's challenging i know this is an unlearning we have to do i was not raised like that when i tell you that i was at that my uncle's house when i had do, that my book on my last i didn't have the right to speak until if someone asked me a question i could reply but i could so i was looking at the at the life, he was like the home life as a, a spectator because I, I didn't have the right to speak. And that silenced me for, for many years. I actually just found my voice recently. So wow. please, yeah, let your children speak. It can be challenging, but the thing is, it's, it's not them. They are not, they are not doing anything to harm us. They are not doing what is happening for them. It's not what is happening for us inside. Even when they trigger us, it's, they're just being kids. So how we take it, it comes from our own baggage, our and own our life. Own stress, yeah. And our own yeah. stress. It's not, yeah. they're not, they're just being kids. So as you said before, self-regulation is so important, you know, mm-hmm. through meditation, through, and my partner also helps a lot. Sometimes when he sees that I'm getting upset, he'll just say something like, oh yeah, let's all calm down. Then I know that maybe I was starting to get upset, mm-hmm. you know? So he like, he has like these little sentences that he would say, and then, you know, then I said, oh, maybe, maybe I was getting upset already. And then I would just calm down, you know, and um, sometimes I catch myself too. I just go, I'm taking a self-regulation course because I think it's so important it to, is. To, it is. to understand that what is happening for you inside is not what is happening for your child. When my child is calling me, mama, mama, she doesn't want to upset me. It's just because she, she loves me and she wants to tell me something she doesn't know yet, but you know, exactly. she's just happy saying that. So but my inner, when I'm triggered inside, it has nothing to do with her. And exactly. self-regulation makes us understand that. And then so that we don't act out on our children. And uh, so yeah. So important. And yeah. that's something I talk about a lot with my husband, because now I'm so passionate about, like you mentioned, the inner critic, that mm. inner voice that your child hears. You need to always take a step back in your parenting to think, if I'm no longer here, what mm-hmm. voice, what is going to be my child in a narrative about themselves? Yes. You know, yes. and it's not just even, you know, someone passing away, but it could be, I'm not, I'm, the child is at school or the child becomes mm-hmm. a teenager and needs to make decisions. Where would they channel their inner strength from? Because if all a child has heard is you're not good enough, you never amount to anything, what's wrong with mm-hmm. you? You're useless, you're a disappointment, you're, you're not mm-hmm. good sometimes that child is going to find themselves alone in a place where they need to make a decision for themselves because it's impossible for us to always be there. Yeah, and what we sure. forget is that all of the words that we speak, that child is looking inward and there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing yeah. to hope in or believe in about themselves mm-hmm. that they can make a decision or take the right step. So that's, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. Back yeah, to the story. So you're living with this alcoholic woman. Do you feel like your mom knew that, did she even know that this woman was this way? Mm, I think she didn't do her due diligence. She had a visa to leave the country. She had this friend and then she decided to just leave us there because he reassured her that, yeah, yeah, don't don't worry. Uh, my mother will take care of your children. And then she just left us there because, you know, she was just like, oh, you know, when you're scrambling, you need something. And but I remember I will never forget that we had a conversation before she left. She was, she brought us there. We brought all our stuff, and then we we're sitting there in a room, and then there were holes all over the walls, and then because it was a wooden house, 
And then like, I was so scared that the snake would get in and I was asking her, but how long is it going to be? And then she was telling us, oh, don't worry. I know this is not the ideal situation, but I will come and get you as soon as I can. And I remember like, I was so, so sad because I was like, wow, my mom is going, I don't even know where she's going. And uh, that waiting, you know, it's as that hope, it, like, it's like you're trying to win a race, but the signpost is get, get, it shifts and shifts and shifts, you know? Yeah. You're, you're hoping she will take you, but that time you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. Anyway, so she went to Spain and then she was um, an illegal immigrant. Uh, undocumented, I prefer to say, because no no human being is illegal, an undocumented immigrant. And she, <laughs> with the help of some Nigerians, she, she managed to take a bus and go to Switzerland because someone told her that her life would be better in Switzerland. And um, after a while, she met a Swiss man and they got married. And like six months after, we, we went to Switzerland. So Wow, thank yeah. God. Finally, yeah. something yeah, fin- good. So, so finally, right? So, but I think at that point, I was not, I, I was, I didn't even want to go. So she promised me she would send me to boarding school in England. That's the reason why, because I didn't, I think I had gotten to a point where I didn't trust any adult anymore. And I just wanted to go to school. So I was telling her, please rent a room for me. I will leave there and go to school. That was my only obsession. So I'm like, I don't How want, old I don't want you at this time. Um, 13. Yeah. 13. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't want a, I don't want parents anymore. I just want to. Because you've had to figure it out your whole life. Like you yeah. could actually parent yeah. yourself at this point. <laughs> I mean, I was a good parent. I was a parent to my sister. That messed up our relationship for many years. It's just been recently that we we have this friendly. Because you had to look out for her. Oh yeah, like really take care of her as a parent because the alcoholic woman. I mean, I had to protect her. You know, I, I went through sexual trauma and I could see like sometimes when people were trying to, predators were trying to get close to her. She didn't know that I was just like, oh, no, you cannot go to your friend's house. Come back. So, you know, like trying to protect her from the harm I knew was out there. And, and you know, um, it's interesting you say that because, again, one of the interviews I did recently called Breaking Free is a story of traumatic child abuse, sexual abuse. And it was apparent that there was no covering that a parent mm-hmm. protects, which I think some parents don't think about when they're trying to just survive and, you know, make a living. So it's always yeah. that, like you use the word predators, is that people would prey on your children because oh, they're yeah. there to provide that covering. And sexual abuse is never far, far off from oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah, never far. It, actually, it was a, a friend. She had a, a friend of her, her age made a friend. And the cousin who was like 18, I could see that he was trying to get her in a, in a position where she would be only alone with him, you know. And my sister, she was too young. She didn't realize it. So I was always there trying to block it. Come back home. You cannot stay there. And she didn't understand why. Many years later, when we talked, she said, oh, my God, I know you saved me from that situation because I, I see now what was happening, you know, mm-hmm. um, as an adult. But even in... I think in, in the village already, I had uh, two encounters where of predators, you know, in the village, um, a neighbor and, and another person in the community. So I already knew, I already knew that the world was not safe. So oh, in all my struggles, when I was living there with my great grandmother, I already had a, an encounter where a neighbor tried to rape me. So I was wow. six years old. So like that. Six? Yeah, so that blew my mind because it's like you would say from all the stuff I've said, wow, it's so horrible. But that was really something that made me distrust the world and distrust people. And I'm still struggling with trust. Like when I see, if I see people, I, I let's say men mostly because it happened with a man, I'm very distrustful. Especially I have three daughters, so you know. I mean, if I if I vet you and I feel you're safe, okay, fine. But you know, I would not let my daughters just go to sleep over because a friend called and say, "Hey, let's do nah." I will, I will come there, we party, and I bring my kids home. <laughs> yeah, you know, I will not say okay. I will. Not, I don't want to be that because that's the risk too. When you've been through so much, you want to protect your kids and you don't want them. You can be like overprotective and you you don't let them you know develop themselves and. Have their or experiences. Leave the little, yeah, yeah. 
So, but my, my strategy would be like, I would suggest we have a party all together as a family, that family, maybe my kids and me, and then I could even bring wine for the parents. We drink, we chat, the kids play. And then after I bring my kids back home, I wouldn't let my children go have sleepovers at anybody's house because even if they are safe, it could be some neighbor who drops by for five minutes or 10 minutes and something happens because it's that yeah. fast. Yeah. So, yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so... So now you're in yeah. Switzerland and mm. you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that like, finally, peace at last, I had arrived mm. and I was now with mom, what I always wanted? What was that like? Well, um, no, it wasn't It wasn't that easy because mom uh, left babies and she, she found teenagers, very angry teenagers who had been through a lot. And uh, mom was in the institution. She was married to this man and she had told many stories. So we couldn't like freely say, oh, mom, this happened to us because we didn't know what she had told him. So we were not free to speak. So we By him, you mean to... your stepdad? Yeah, our stepdad. Right. So we were not free to speak. So we were sitting on our stories or carrying them in us and not sharing. So I was very angry with my mother. I was very angry. I just didn't understand why she made all the choices at the time. But the thing is, she was surviving too. Like she was um, undocumented. I'm not sure she really loved that man. And she was like finding a situation for us. At first, he was very nice. You know, like we were welcome in his family. He's a, he's a white Swiss man. And, um, but things then sour at one point, you know, where... Also, we went through kind of uh, molestation with him. So, what? yeah. Where was yeah. your mom? She was there, I guess. But, you know, she, it was... You think she knew what it. was going on? No. You know what? When you go through so much trauma, as my mother went through, there's something that disconnects from, from you. And when so we Mark, met her... So this sexual when, molestation was... He molested you and your sister as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. 